I think I value more really working with the client and going, okay, can we afford this? Like, what is the operating cost? How many employees are you going to need? Can we design the bar so the bar can also be the the bartender can also be the host during slow times? You know, like architecture is not just about design. I mean, you have to do building codes and everything, but you have to be designing a successful business. Welcome to The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. I'm your host, Lindsay Christians, food editor for the Cap Times, and this is a new series we're calling Making a Restaurant. In this series, we're looking at how restaurants go from the first idea scribbled on a napkin to the pasta on our plates. In our first two episodes, I chatted with Caitlin Simnecht, Chief Creative Officer at Food Fight Restaurant Group, and Graphic Designer Cricket Redman. You can listen to these episodes out of order, but if you wanted to start at the beginning, check those out. This week, we're looking at the bones of a restaurant. Melissa Destry of Destry Design Architects has worked on a variety of restaurants, from Applebee's and Pizza Hut to the Cooper's Tavern, Brickhouse Barbecue, and Bonfire American Grill. She's an architect and an interior designer who's had her own firm for 18 years. They've been located downtown since 2003. For Melissa, being an architect was a lifelong dream. I actually always wanted to be an architect. Since I was about six years old, it annoyed all of my high school friends because I knew exactly what I wanted to do. So right out of high school, I went to UW-Milwaukee. I got my bachelor's and my master's degree and. um then my dad had an organic farm in the Spring Green and Arena area, so I actually took a job at FLAD in Madison so I could be near the farm because I enjoyed doing that. How did you get started working with restaurants in specific? Uh, the timbers in DeForest burned down. And Bachman Construction actually called me up and they're like, can you get here this morning and help us? So we actually helped the insurance company and everything rebuild it. Like while it was still well, it was it was out by about six hours. Oh, God. <laughs> but yeah, literally going through the process to uh, redraw the drawings and um, put in the hood system and things like that. So we actually it was it started like that, and then then we renovated the church key, and then it kind of oh. moved into samba, and then we started doing work for the Applebee's franchise, Pizza Hut franchises, things like that, and then we did quite a few concept restaurants in Madison as well. Nice. When people come to you and say, I want to work with you, I want to hire you, I've heard good things, I like your stuff, I want to work with you, at what point are they usually in the process? Do they have a concept? Do they have a location? Do they have funding? Like, where are they when they come to you? They always have their funding. You know, if you're going to be opening up a restaurant, you've done the economic work on it. You, They might even have an initial budget of what they want to spend on a build-out. A multitude of clients will actually look for a location with us and what we call is a space plan or a fit plan. Um, or another client will come and say, hey, we're put, this is our location. We've been in lease negotiations for like four months. And this is our, you know, this is what we're doing. Um, let's start working with this space. And we start doing fit plans specifically for that space. I mean, do you prefer that they kind of have their location or do you like, do you have good connections already, like knowing things that might be available? Like, ooh, this would be a really good fit for this. Is this when I do my pitch as to available spaces? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> sure, yeah. 
As I say, the Belleville Community Development Authority is trying to find a restaurant tour for their train depot. So in Paoli? In, in Belleville. So there is a, um, they actually just um, purchased um, the old 1880s brick <gasps> railway station. And that's cool. It's on the bike path. It's on, yeah, the Ice Age Trail. So they're actually looking for somebody to do a cafe or something in that building. So that's a great available space right now. And and finding a, a concept that's going to fit with the space. Yes, is yeah, a yeah. Particular kind yeah. So of thing. so you know that's a unique situation too. We we help stabilize the building. So oh yeah, we're working through that process. But no, I um I enjoy working with clients that are just passionate about what they're doing. And what's fun with food is people are very passionate about their food. So it's fun working on restaurants with people. I actually like having a canvas to work on and really kind of zeroing in more on what the narrative is of the concept and what the what what the food you know concept and story is going to be any location can work if you're a proper chef it becomes a destination it depends if you're going for volume or if you're going for experience and and I like to think that the individual opening up the restaurant concept knows the two differences of those things I have been thinking recently about um, Salvatore's tomato pies in mm-hmm. Sun Prairie, and they when they first opened next to like, it was like near a check cashing place and stuff, <laughs> <laughs> or like a tax, pla- I don't know, it's like check cashing or like tax place, whatever. It was a sad little strip mall, but word of mouth, but gets word of people. mouth, yes. And yes. Patrick, the chef and the owner, has said people will still sometimes say to him that they liked the old place better. And he's like, what did you like? That it was hot in the summertime, 85, 90 degrees, and that, that it was tiny, that it, like it was, uh, and it just like went this litany of all these things that he hated <laughs> all the, about All it. the functional things yeah. that didn't work for them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, but, but there's a specific kind of ambiance mm-hmm. there. Well, I'll tell you, like location, uh, this whole conversation, we did bonfire. And bonfire was kind of an interesting concept because – it originally was going to start as a hula hands. Oh. And um, the the ownership team and everything, six months we worked with hula hands telling them, okay, this is how many seats, you know, doing all the fit plans and totally selling hula hands on the idea. And hula hands, after six months, came back and announced to them, nobody will go and eat at a restaurant in this location. And the owners so strongly disagreed with them and all their data that they're like, let's just do it ourselves. So they put together the concept of bonfire. And I mean, and people who are listening to this are probably laughing right now because it's like one of the best places to meet people for lunch, 5 p.m. drinks, dinner. You know, I was there Valentine's and the place was packed. Oh, I'm it's sure. such a popular p- place for holiday events, you know, things like that. So, um, These experts, as we know them, you know, these franchise experts, they sometimes don't have a good sense of, like, what the local behaviors are. And so so Bonfire is kind of one of those uh, stories where it's like they've done great where they are. Do you think that location trumps everything? Like, do you think that location is more important than, say, a great concept? Oh, that's so tricky. I would – not in Madison because, you know – Madison, because we have these two lakes slam-bammed in the middle, you know, people are are willing to travel a little bit. Um, I, I do, you know, I do have a, a, 
opinion about if it's anywhere near sports venues at the university that you can kind of hang yourself if you aren't sports related. You know, I, th- there's, I think that's probably the biggest location deficit um, that they kind of create this environment where you have to put sports bars in on Regent Street and things like that because there isn't enough parking. So that's another pitch for the city of Madison to move forward with that parking garage on Regent Street. <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think it's those type of things. Like if people want to go on Regent Street or the end of Regent and West Wash, but there's no parking when there's a hockey game or a basketball game, things like that. So... Melissa works on a lot of new construction, but she's also done some challenging historic projects, particularly downtown on the square. The Park Hotel, for example, originally opened in 1871 at 30 South Carroll Street. Melissa was part of the renovation and redesign of that space in 2016. She's worked on a lot of older restaurants, though, and I wondered how some of those challenges are different. One thing that you do get when you go downtown is beautiful old buildings. You know, you get some kind of lovely historic architecture. Um, Those come with their own sets of challenges, I would imagine. And I wonder, when you're dealing with an older building, what are some of those things that you've had had to deal with in terms of, like, preserving character and bringing it up to code? So the nightmare that is the sprinkler system. So if there's a fire sprinkler system in the historic building, you are good to go. I mean, like, that is awesome. But what you do is you find that people are like, oh, we're going to do this build out on the first floor and it's a five-story, 100-year-old building. There's no sprinkler in the rest of the building. So suddenly we have to do a three-hour separation in the ceiling, like three hours. Historic structures are awesome. But I, the first thing I recommend to people is just make sure that there's a sprinkler system. And there's been such an initiative the last like dozen years with the city of Madison Fire Department and everything that you it's actually more and more difficult to find buildings that do not have sprinkler systems in them. So what's a three hour separation? Uh, so basically, um, it's it's many, many layers of drywall. So you're basically the theory is you meet a UL listing, you know, like UL listings on lamps. There's UL listings on how a, a wall will contain a fire. So basically, it is such a substantial, massive drywall section that it can technically contain a fire for up to three hours. Wow. Yeah, no comment on that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think they ever last that long, but it's, it's, it's a lot of drywall. So when you're renovating an old building or putting a restaurant into an old building... First thing, maybe you think about sprinklers, mm-hmm. but I wonder also about like disability access. Yes, accessibility. Accessibility. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so there's two things. There's the code minimum, and then there's what you as a business owner value. This is like a conversation you constantly have when you're designing a restaurant. It's like, are you going to go with the code minimum, or are you going to actually have an inclusive design that actually allows people to have full accessibility? Accessibility is more than just um, access on grade or access to bathrooms. There's issues like um, audible areas, you know, excessive noise, things like that. So keeping in mind everyone between having bad knees or bad hearing and or being actually um, in a wheelchair, actually designing opportunities for all of your patrons. 
you really struggle to understand some buildings, why they still aren't accessible. And um, that, you know, it's, it's a process. We're giving people an opportunity to make improvements. And every improvement in an existing building, they just want you to spend 20% on accessibility improvements and things like that. Um, but then there's some uh, restaurant owners who are like, no, we, we are doing this. This is important to us. You know, we're going to address these certain issues to make it accessible and um, just welcoming to everybody. So, so 20%. Of, of the construction value of the renovation has to be to improve accessibility. So that could be bathrooms, that could be fire strobes. So a fire alarm, so visual strobes, that counts. Um, lever handles on doors. So some very simple things, um, the pull side on the entry door or even putting a power assist on the entry door, all of that, all those upgrades, so 20% of it, of what you do. When you go into restaurants and bars in Madison, do you notice like oh the me, level it's of- terrible. Yeah, <laughs> every every project has a story. Every you know, and I have to tell myself, I'm like, okay, I, I can't, I can't like jump to a conclusion here. But um, there's certain things people could have done that might have not impacted it that much, but they met the code minimum or something like that. And and a lot of times, for example, if it's been a restaurant for 50 years and they haven't renovated, they don't have to do anything. You know, it, it's like maybe 20%, but if it's already a restaurant, it doesn't, it's not a big investment that they need to make. So they have little doors to the bathrooms or they have steps, you know, things like that. If you have been a restaurant for 50 years and you haven't I mean, you must have renovated at some point something. You, the carpet can't be that. I mean, well, Smokey's carpet might be the same. Um, but like, That's so funny. I was thinking of Smokey's yeah. too. <laughs> and they, they did renovate not too long ago, like maybe five years ago or something. They like cleaned a bunch of stuff out and took yeah. some of the dead animals out. And, um, it's <laughs> no, but thing. yeah, like yeah. These, older, these older restaurants, these older steakhouses and stuff are a little bit um, – more for code minimums than actually doing major refurbishments to promote full accessibility. And the irony is maybe that the clientele that they have courted over these many years is probably going to be more and more needing those things. Yeah, you wonder. Yeah. <laughs> like, they... But does it sell more steak? If you're always full, you know, that, that's a whole nother thing. It's like, if you have a hotel that's 90% booked all the time, why renovate? We are so excited to announce the first ever live Corner Table podcast taping. On Tuesday, June 18th, I am interviewing Chef Nianika Banda, former Madisonian and founder of Martha's Daughter Restaurant in Duluth. Join us at the Rick House, a new event space with an old sugar distillery, for a chat about Nianika's return to the nomadic restaurant life and the joys and challenges of cooking in the Upper Midwest. This event is free for Cap Times members and $10 for non-members. Go to bandacornertable.eventbrite.com for tickets. ago, I installed a decibel meter on my phone so I could get a sense of how loud the restaurants I was reviewing were. 
It felt to me like they were getting louder, but I wanted to know what Melissa had to say. Are restaurants getting noisier? Yes. Yes, they are. Why? Um, Because acoustics cost money. Um, You know, so there's like soft things make things more um, tolerable to the ears. Well, it's the opposite of what you'd want in a restaurant because you want things that are easily cleanable. You can degrease them, things like that. Well, so, you know, restaurants have gotten harder and harder. So when we work on projects, for example, we always put like, let's just say $10,000 in acoustical baffles. And honestly, a lot of times it's pulled out or they do it like six months later after they've opened, they start adding the baffles. So they have it kind of in their budget, but they might not have purchased it right away. They want to see how the space works. Um, But there's expensive solutions to acoustics and inexpensive solutions. I'll just kind of give a couple examples. Um, Portabella has a party room, like a special events room that fits about 150 people. They have sauna spray, and sauna spray is what the ceilings of Monona Terrace are as well. Um, the Post restaurant at the Park Hotel also puts sauna spray in. Well, you know, one of my clients, he's like, it looks like popcorn ceilings. I'm like, yes, it does. Um, but go to Monona Terrace or Google it, you know, and you'll see it's like, oh, it's just kind of an uneven plaster finish. But it has this amazing acoustical Um, property, that it just, there's no reverberation. It's amazing. So, but that's like when you really want to make an investment. And again, it's what the owners value, you know, like for the acoustics and and they know who their demographic is and everything. So Portobello, it was a smashing success, you know, that type of thing. And then you can go and do baffles that just hang in the ceiling or baffles behind art, things like that. And if you're really going, okay, I'm on a budget, go to Joanne Fabrics, Get felt, stick it underneath all your tables, that type of thing. Like, and then change it out every couple of years once it kind of gets old or damp or something, and it's not performing. But there's all kinds of levels of acoustics that you can do in in restaurants. I'm always interested. It's I've seen it underneath tables. Yeah, people. Do, and what's funny because of the gum, yeah. the gum urban legend of gum, people tend not to touch under tables. They don't. Yeah, it's true. I it, don't. Yeah. It's gross. <laughs> yeah, but putting felt, you know, flipping the table over and putting two pieces of gluing felt there, it really helps the reverberation of the reflection off the floor. Restaurants are getting harder. Mm-hmm. And yes. so they're getting louder. Yeah. I read something that said that part of it is because when we feel overwhelmed, we tend to drink more or like the, the loudness and the light tend to make us drink more. I did not know so that was So the thing. increase of anxiety makes people want to actually self-medicate? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> See, now that sounds logical. <laughs> <laughs> never understood that concept. No, just kidding. Um, no, I, I guess I never heard that in regards to why you want to make it loud. I, I tend to get people, I, but I guess maybe it's the crowd I hang out with. We'd rather hang out at like Nick's or these places that kind of like, or Bore and Barrel, I like going there. You know, it's just, it, the Bore and Barrel, you know, it has plaster walls, stone walls. It There's something about it that it kind of more absorbs. It's not as loud there. Um, where it, It's interesting. It's a lot about the materiality of every space. Yeah. There was a restaurant critic once who said that he, he started taking his young son, like, a year and a half 
two years old out to restaurant trips. And he said, this new trend of making everything super loud, I am so here for it as oh, a parent. Because you can bring a kid and if you he don't screams, even notice. no one knows. Yeah. yeah. Can't yeah. even tell. He just, yeah. you know, screams like a stuck cat and no one can even tell. <laughs> what trends have you seen in restaurant design in terms of, like, open kitchens, galley kitchens, uh, different interior, you know, choices? What kinds of trends have you seen? Restaurant tours that want to actually make money. It's a tough industry. So actually designing the space so they need less staff rather than more staff. You know, just working immediately when you you have a client like deciding like what how are you actually experiencing the food how do you order the food how is the food brought to the table are there runners you know that type of thing um and really designing the restaurant so it accommodates that whole concept of service what your service concept is um always the open kitchen cuz the open kitchen the staff stays cleaner <laughs> And people love to know that it's a clean kitchen. And it's like a, it also is kind of a perfect way to um, just kind of keep on top of things. I, I would love to say there's a trend in having appropriate lighting design and appropriate acoustics and things like that, but people only have a, a wallet that's so big. So during these build outs, some of these things kind of fall short. But with the use of LED lighting and lighting systems and everything, you can really do a lot with your ambiance. And you always have to have a fabulous bathroom. This is one of those things like when you go, you know, like in the newspaper world, it's all about the food. What was the service like? And then how cool is the bathroom? I mean, honestly, every review, it's like it's very important. I, I like a cool bathroom. Yeah, I know. I was at Crescendo Espresso Bar in Hilldale, and they have signs in their bathrooms that say human. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Mintmark has pond and pool. Nice. Very nice. into that. Nice. Which I just think is funny. Nice. So you said that uh, the cost of, of build-out has gotten higher. In recent yeah, months. you know, electrical wiring. You know, it's not necessarily the labor. It's the materials and then the tariffs have actually... Um, really increase the cost of lighting um, because uh, so people have been getting lighting stateside or in Canada because the tariffs have not been impacting. So example, a Canadian LED light used to be like 10% more, let's say, than something made in China. Well, so now the Canadian light is like the same price, if not a buck or two less, you know, so the Canadians are loving this. They're selling a lot of lighting. (laughs) (laughs) But it is, it's... um, you know, there's 10% more. You just, instead of $30,000, you just spent $33,000. You know what I mean? It's, it's adding, it adds up. Yeah. We've seen a lot of new restaurants coming into the Madison area in recent years. I feel like we've been in a little bit of a boom. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we'll start to see that bubble, if it's a bubble, start to pop a little or, you know. But I wonder, what percentage of your business now is, is working with restaurants? And do you think it's more challenging to open a restaurant now than it was when you started? Well, I don't think it's more challenging. I think I know more about the whole business aspect of opening up a restaurant where I think I value more really working with the client and going, okay, can we afford this? Like, what is the operating cost? 
how many employees are you going to need? Can we design the bar so the bar can also be the the bartender can also be the host during slow times? You know, like design things you can do so you can have a couple less people working during slow times. Um, the other concept of dividing restaurants into three or four zones so you can close a zone off and people don't even know that there's another space back there. So you can keep the intensity of people and the quantity of people, like two locations. You're not stressing out your your wait staff because they're running around too much, you know, things like that. So I think I just en- I enjoy that aspect of it more I don't <laughs> um, because architecture is not just about design. I mean, you have to do building codes and everything, but you have to be designing a successful business. So I, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have done projects like Samba and and Bonfire and Graft where it's they're very successful and the owners totally got us involved in what their process was and how they were going to staff it. Are there projects that you've seen sort of come up recently either that you've worked on or that someone else has worked on that you're really excited about? Oh, well, there's so many. Okay, like Lucille is just an awesome space. I mean, Enovino downtown, The View. I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, um, it, it's there's so many wonderful restaurants in the Madison area that I love going to them too, you know. It's like it's, there's so many. I'm looking forward to going to Tangent. I haven't been to Tangent. I'm going next week. Tangent opened, like, right in the midst of the polar vortex, yes, I think. Yes, yes. Well, it's <laughs> benefits of the quote-unquote soft opening, right? Oh, yeah. 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 I was talking to a restaurateur recently, and he said it, he was glad that he opened right before the polar vortex because he's like, we weren't really ready. We needed more time for training, and we've had trouble getting staff because everyone does yes, these yes. days. Staffing is difficult. It's it's interesting to hear though that you're taking staffing concerns into consideration. Very much so. At the very beginning. In the design. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I do um, restaurant design critiques for the university for the interior designers, and I'm like, okay, well, what kind of um, point of sale system do they have? Mobile point of sale? Where are your point of sales? And they just look at you going, because here they come out literally. This is my restaurant. There's 600 seats. And then the kitchen is like 20 by 40. <laughs> and and I'm just like going, okay, well, where are your point of sales? And they just look at me puzzled. And then they'll have a bar with 13 stools. And I'm like, let's talk proportions here. One-third bar, one-third kitchen, one-third seating and restaurant area. And then they just look dumbfounded. Why? And, Why do you do it that way? Well, the concept is, in Madison at least, and again, it depends on your, your food concept, but um, – People are more casual in Madison. A lot of people like a bigger bar or they like high tops around a bar, having more of a social interaction. And then they also love booths. So then you have a ringing of booths or something like that, and that's your dining area. And then you divide off dining areas so you can segment it again, you know, that type of thing. But um, people, this isn't Santa Barbara where you have four tops, everything's a four top, and it's a sea of four tops like at a country club. I mean, you know, that's, that's not what we are here. And um, what's funny, and everyone, if people are listening to the podcast, they can disagree with me, but I've, I've learned that you have two tops and you have six tops. Like people in Madison go out in groups of like five and six people. Like so like the whole concept of the four top is not helpful. You know, so it's, it's interesting. It's building in that flexibility to accommodate two people to six people and things like in, in the restaurant and understanding that whole placement of all the tables and size of tables. 
at Tipsy Cow in Sun Prairie, they have a situation where, like, I think you can split the tables then so they can be four or, or eight, put three together. Yeah, or, yeah. Like and you've got one half as bench. Mm-hmm. And the other half is chair, so my Correct. husband is happy in his chair, and I'm happy on my bench. Yep. And we can like shove together and have four people, or you can have, and it's very flexible in terms. Yeah, it's of that. crucial. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you never know who's going to walk through the door. Yeah. yeah, and I love a bar. I love a bar, mm-hmm. and I think it's a big. And I I eat alone sometimes at the bar. Oh, I do too. Yeah, yeah for lunch I'll go to Cooper's Tavern or Nick's or something like that and I just eat at the bar. Yeah. yeah. I'm often going to a show and so I need to get my food fairly quickly and mm-hmm. I wonder if that's a trend too of like I need to know that I can like pop up, get a seat at the bar, get my food fairly fast and then move on to the next thing I have to do mm-hmm. because it's not always going to be all night that I'm there. Yeah. You know? So, but that that's just cool. Well, awesome. Thank you for coming in today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This has been The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. We get editing help from Eric Lawrenson. Coming up next, we'll have an interview with culinary instructor Brandon Texbay about how to write a menu. You can follow us on Facebook and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Get restaurant reviews, news, and tickets to that live podcast taping on June 18th at captimes.com. Thank you so much for listening. I am your host, Lindsay Christians, Cap Times food editor, and my wish for you this week is ice cream in a sugar cone. Cheers!